Hey, good morning, City Light. As Eric said, my name is Jason. Um, I am one of the co-pastors down in Kansas City, and just want to say it is an honor and privilege just to get to be here today. Uh, for my family, this church carries a lot of love for us. Um, when we moved here, here was Doug and Eric's amazing offer. They said, hey, we can give you a lot of support, a lot of love, a lot of encouragement, but we will give you next to no money. And uh, why don't you just try to ask, go ask people to give you money. That's, that's what we'll do. And so we thought about it, prayed about it, said yes, and it still is one of the best decisions we've ever made. Um, this church still feels like family to us. Uh, it was just a beautiful time to be here. And, and just to brag on you guys a bit, think about what a church in Council Bluffs has done. As you guys have planted on the west side of town, uh, southwest Iowa, um, down in Kansas City, Rwanda, God is using this church to advance his kingdom. And that, that's you guys. So you guys should be proud of that. Um, and, and I'm proud to say that I, I was a part of this church and, and my heart is still here. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, like I said, it is an honor and privilege to be here. Give you guys a little bit of an update of what's happened in Kansas City. When we first moved down there, uh, to give you some context, Kansas City is twice as big as Omaha, so the metro area is huge, and so when we first moved down there, we had people all over the place. So when we first started, we were down in Westport, if you know, Kansas City all, which is kind of in the heart of the city, uh, but not many people lived in Kansas City, or lived in Westport. So through some prayer, discussion, praying some more, we're now in the Northland, and if you don't know, that's in the north part of the city, right? <laughs> Northland. Um, and God's been doing some great stuff there. We've got to baptize people this year. Um, our city groups are growing. I think we're going to have two more start up in the fall. Um, and one of the things we're really proud of is, is I know Eric kind of claimed Matt Keller, but if you guys, was here last week? So um, he was sent down to us broken and shabby and just sad and tired. So we cleaned him up, taught him how to do stuff, and sent him back to you guys up here in Iowa. So we take all the credit for Matt Keller. Um, we also... Uh, uh, Jordan and Ken and Bear were part of our church in Kansas City long before they were here. And so we claim both of them as ours, and so you guys are welcome. Right? That was us. That was us. But Jesus is doing something in Kansas City, and that's partly because you guys, part of the, the DNA, the beginning of this church was, right, plant pregnant. So the whole commitment of this church has been to continue to plant churches, and you're, you guys are seeing that happen. So Thank you. Um, real quick question as we get ready to launch into the text. How many of you have ever been on a boat in really bad weather? Anybody? Uh, surprising number of hands for being such a landlocked place, right? <laughs> um, you don't think ocean breezes when you think of Iowa. But I was on a trip to Alaska. My father-in-law and brother-in-law got me this trip to go with them to Alaska to do some salmon fishing, some halibut fishing, and it was awesome. Uh, I grew up, my mom and dad were fishermen, so it was a pretty cool thing to do. They had gone during retirement. It, it was a place I always wanted to go to. So I go to Alaska, and it was fantastic. Just the wildlife. Um, we were on a boat and got to see a whale, which was pretty cool. Um, saw these, like, these big sea lions. One time I was fishing in a stream for salmon, and I noticed that the salmon got a little excited and uh, somebody said, hey, do you see that? And I look, and there's actually a seal 
trying to get the salmon so I didn't catch any fish that time because the seal was driving them all away. But, I mean, that was the awesome part of the trip. The bad part, though, was one day we were, Sarah's brother, he was there, and he was there the year before, and he had all this training. So the lodge we stayed at, they showed these guys, hey, here's how to navigate the water. Here's what to do. Here's what not to do. Well, when we showed up, they just assumed that we knew what those guys knew and didn't tell us anything. And so Sarah's brother was like, hey, let's go way out today. We'll do some halibut fishing. We'll go way out. So, I mean, we're in a boat for probably over an hour, just going, brought extra gas to get back. And we got out in open water. That was a whole new world. Um, we're coming back because the weather starts getting bad. And we start hitting these waves. And the waves get higher and higher and higher to where the splash, you know, if you're in a boat and you hit a wave, the splash coming off, 16-foot boat, I'm in the back because I'm driving. The splash coming off was so bad, I just took my glasses off. I thought, well, I can't see with them on. I'll see what little I can without them. And if we roll, I, I don't need them anyway, right? So I put my glasses down, trying to navigate. And then uh, Sarah's brother is getting, that's my wife, Sarah. Sarah's brother is getting further and further ahead. So he stops. We catch up to him. He says, hey, man, you got to go faster. Like, you were going way too slow. And Sarah's dad, who I thought was going to have multiple heart attacks in the boat, it was, he was just so terrified. So we can't go any faster. So he's like, all right, well, you lead, and I'll follow you. So I'm leading. We get into this big open area, and because I didn't have the training, I didn't know you're not supposed to go straight across. You're supposed to kind of go around. So we're in the middle of this huge open area, and I'm convinced, Sarah's brother disagrees with me, but I'm convinced the swell's like five, six feet high waves in a 16-foot boat. And we would get up to the top, you know, and you could see all over. And then we would get down, and it was like the walls came up. Like, it was just you couldn't see much. And I remember one time we get up to the top of the wave, and then you ever been in a boat where it falls and hits the water? You ever experienced that? So, like, it jarred us. We come up. We don't ride it down. We just fall forever, right? We hit the surface of the water. It jars us. And when that happens... A wave hits us from the side because we're out far enough now to where waves are coming from multiple directions. Um, I don't deal with that on Missouri ponds. I just don't. So it hits me on the side, spins us 90 degrees, like 16 foot. We spin completely. I look, and here's another wave coming. So I hit the gas. I kind of get up. Somehow we made it back. And I thought, you know what? I've been with Sarah's dad now all week. If this boat roll, he's on his own. We need a break anyway right? He's on his own. I got a life jacket. It's August. I'm not going to, I'm not going to freeze to death. I probably won't drown, right? I rationalize my way through the fear. Um, the disciples are kind of in a similar situation, right? Although they've had the training that I didn't. So they're with Jesus. They've been teaching all day, right? Jesus has been working and he says, hey guys, let's get in the boat. Let's go across the sea. Let's get out of here, right? So, so they do that. They're on their way and a storm picks up, and Jesus is asleep. They're panicking. Jesus is nowhere to be found. And just something to notice here is these guys are fishermen, so this isn't their first rodeo. They weren't me in the boat, right? They knew what they were doing. They were highly skilled. They've been probably navigating this body of water their whole life. And so for them to get panicked, it wasn't like, oh, there's a little breeze in the air, right? Like, they're truly nervous that, we're going to die. That's their thinking. It says a lot about the intensity of the storm. So that's their state of mind, and Jesus is taking a nap, right? So they, they panic. They wake Jesus up. They accuse him of not caring. So Jesus gets up, 
swaggers out, rebukes the wind and the wave, the wind and the sea obey. And now there's this interesting part in the story where it says the disciples were scared of the storm. Now they're scared of Jesus. It's changed a little bit. So here's what I want us to look at today. Four ways of the greatness of Jesus. Four ways of the greatness of Jesus. First, he's greater than the storm. This is where we're going. He's greater than our fear, concerns, or doubts. He's greater than we realize. And then finally, he's greater than Jonah. So he's greater than the storm, greater than our fears, greater than we realize, and greater than Jonah. So let's back to the text. Mark 4, 39, it says this. And he awoke and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So first, Jesus is greater than the storm. If you notice how Jesus responds, he kind of he rolls out, and he rolls up his sleeves, but he doesn't call on like some power, right? Uh, any of you 80s kids, right? He doesn't, he doesn't call on like a power of gray skull. He doesn't like pull out a wand. He doesn't say like some magic words. Um, he doesn't have like a wizard staff that he attacks the storm. He, he doesn't do any of that. He just says, hey, storm, stop, peace, be still. And there was great calm. And here's the thing. There is nothing greater for Jesus to call on. Like when you talk about the most powerful thing, it is him. There's nothing greater. The creator himself is speaking to the creation. He is greater than the storm. And when he speaks, it says it stops immediately. So when he speaks to the sea, it stops rolling, right? The wind stops. The sea gets calm. And the language implies that great calm. It's not that he spoke and then, like, the wind stops and the water's still choppy as it kind of mellows out if you've been on a big body of water. The great calm implies that when he says, peace be still, it goes from being chaos to almost like a lake that you could see your reflection in, right? It's quick. It's not like the sea's like, maybe I don't want to calm down. It's like a kid throwing a temper tantrum and Jesus walks in and says, hey, cut that out. And it goes, okay, and it just stops immediately. Jesus is greater than the storm. So let me ask you this question. How has Jesus calmed the storms you've been in? Like, what storms in your life have you gone through? And you can look back now and think, man, Jesus was in that with me. He calmed that storm. Say, a marriage restored. Uh, the comfort you've experienced after the difficult loss of someone you've loved. Maybe a challenging financial or an emotional situation you found yourself in, and Jesus calmed that. I'm sure many of us can look back on our life, and we think we threw Jesus a desperate prayer, and he answered in ways we never thought imaginable. Our situation, our world felt out of control, chaotic, storm-like, and yet Jesus said, peace be still, and he calmed it. Um, I remember uh, uh, the guy I was living with when I met Sarah, his dad was a pastor in a rough part of St. Louis, and his dad had a heart for people, and his dad worked a full-time job and pastored this church, and, and he said to me that there were times, they had seasons where financially it was just very difficult for them, and he said they would sit down to eat, and his mom would give them butter sandwiches, which is code for just a piece of bread with some butter on it, and but they would sit down and they would thank Jesus. Thank you so much for blessing us with this. Because that's all they had. 
And yet, he said a knock would come to the door, they would get up and check, and there would be groceries there. He said this happened pretty often for them, never knowing who did it. And for him and their family, in the midst of that storm of not really having much, Jesus was greater. Which brings us to that first point, right? Jesus is greater than the storm. No matter what storm we're in, he's greater than that. So let's, let's look at the rest of the story. 437 says this, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Second point, Jesus is greater than our fear. He's greater than our concerns, our doubts, our worries. He's greater than that. The disciples, like I said earlier, they know a storm when they see it. Uh, this is not their first time out on this body of water. Right? Sea is raging. Wind is howling. Waves are crashing over the side of the boat. The boat is filling with water. And if this keeps up, they're pretty sure they're going to die. And where's Jesus in this moment? He's asleep. So when I just ask you about that storm that you went through during that time, or maybe you're in it now, did you ever wonder, Jesus, are you asleep on the job right now? Like, I need you to show up and do something. Where are you? When we go through times of difficulty, seasons of doubt, moments of pain, it's pretty natural for us to ask that question, where are you, God? And I think it's a pretty fair question or much of the Psalms would have to be gotten rid of. Where are you? So, for instance, my, my brother was married, had a new baby, and died at the age of 19. That's tragic. I talked to a guy earlier this year who took his six-month-old in for a, in the six-month checkup to discover that she was deaf. I recently did a memorial service for a woman in her 40s who died of cancer. And it's in these moments, we, we hear those things, and it feels like the wind is howling, the sea is raging, our situation, our boat is filling up with water. We don't know if we can take any more, and we cry out, God, where are you? Don't you care? Have you ever thought, God, if you love me, if you care for me, you wouldn't let this event happen, this moment happen, you wouldn't put me in this season, and yet here I am. If you love me, you'd keep me from this. Anybody felt that way? I, I felt that way. But let me say this, if you have felt that way, Jesus is still with you in the boat. He's still there. He hasn't left you or abandoned you. Our fear, our doubts, our concerns, our questions, they don't drive Jesus away because Jesus is greater than our fear. He's still with us. Psalm 23, 4, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. So when death is so close, its shadow is on us. The psalmist says, you're with me. So in the midst of our storms, know that Jesus is with us. We may not see him, we may not hear him, we may not feel his presence, but Peter, who is on this boat, and Mark is his account of Jesus' life, he writes to a church later that says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. So the same guy saying, don't you care for us, after he goes through this, encourages believers to cast their cares on Jesus because he cares. Jesus does not panic. He's not wringing his hands in worry. Jesus is actually, he's so not worried that he sleeps even when the storm rages. And he doesn't sleep out of indifference. He actually sleeps out of confidence. Right? We freak out and worry. Jesus speaks peace and calm. Jesus is greater than our fears so that we can trust him 
in the midst of our storm. Right? And so, so far we see that Jesus is greater than the storm. Uh, Jesus is greater than our fears, our questions, our concerns. And Jesus is greater than we realize. Again, in 4.39, it says this, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? You still have no faith? Or have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So third point, Jesus is greater than we realize. Jesus was greater than the storm before it started. He's greater in it, and he's greater after it. And if you notice, the disciples are scared when the storm is raging, but then after Jesus uh, calms the storm, calms the sea, it says that they're afraid afterwards. Because Jesus is way more than they realize. I mean, his, divinity, his deity is on display here. And the disciples are starting to see that this guy they've been hanging out with for a while who he has some really good teaching and he's healing people. This dude is speaking to nature itself, to creation, and it is responding to him. And it freaks him out a little bit. Um, there's this movie phenomenon, uh, John Travolta's in it. It's one of Yarden's favorite movies. It's a guy, it's a guy who, uh, who's all of a sudden he's given um, these abilities that he didn't have before. And he's like this nice, sweet guy. Um, and all of a sudden he's able to learn things quickly He's able to like shatter glass with his mind. His character doesn't change much, but, but the people perceive him differently, and now he, they're scared of him. Uh, it's kind of similar to this, right? Jesus is mysterious. Like, I think they kind of had him figured out, and now they're not sure what to do with him. He's this mysterious, powerful, in control, fearless, sovereign, not merely a nice, sweet guy, but he's the God-man. Disciples are beginning to Question, who is this guy? We thought we knew who he was, but he's way bigger than we thought. He's much more than we realized. So, I mean, why do you think they're scared of him? Why do you think that? I believe it's because a storm is somewhat unpredictable and uncontrollable. Similar to Jesus, right? He does what he wants. He can't be manipulated. The ideas, the thoughts, the categories, the boxes they had put Jesus in have just been shattered. He is way more than they thought. And I'm guessing they're wondering, he's done a lot so far. What else is this guy going to do, right? There's a little trepidation on their part. We can't control him. Uh, let me tell you how I've wanted to control Jesus in my life. Uh, when my twins were first born, it was probably the most difficult season I've ever been in. And not because all of a sudden I went from two kids to four kids, although that was kind of stressful. It was, I just didn't sleep much during that season and I understood truly why sleep deprivation was a form of torture. Like, I remember saying that out loud. I get why people do that. Man, this is horrible. Um, so I had that going on. Also, my dad was in the final stages of Parkinson's disease and died shortly, like, in that time. And also, I had some issues at the church I was passionate, I was working through. And it just felt like a lot. Like, it was just a lot. Um, and I remember exactly where I was. When I, in our house in Pittsburgh, you could walk in, and there was a staircase that went up, and there was a landing up there. And I was up in that landing. I think I was up again because a baby was crying, and I had just put her to sleep. And I thought, God, this makes no sense. Like, if I could write this, this is not how I would do it. Uh, I just can't see any sense to this. Um, if you loved me, if you really cared for me, you wouldn't be doing this. I get you're sovereign and in control, but... Why this? 
I wanted to take control of Jesus and tell him how to fix my life right then and there, but he was way greater than I realized. He's so much bigger than we know. Uh, Tim Keller, quoting about Mark 4, says this, if you have a God great enough and powerful enough to be mad at because he doesn't stop your suffering, you also have a God who's great enough and powerful enough to have reasons that you can't understand. I don't know what God was up to. I might have some ideas. I don't know exactly what God was up to in that whole season. I mean, and I'm sure many of you have had seasons way worse than that, right? But I don't know what God was up to, but I know that he loves me, and he loved me in that moment. He loves me now, and he loves you in your storm. He loved you then. He loves you now. He'll continue to love you. And you may wonder, sure, Jason, you can say that. It can be a little trite sometimes, like, oh, yeah, you know, it's all working out. Um, But what proof do we have of that? Like, is it all just going to work out, or is really Jesus in control Is he working things out for our good and his glory? Well, the answer to that comes in the next point, and that is that Jesus is greater than Jonah. You might wonder, what what does Jonah have to do with this? Uh, But we're going to read Jonah 4 through 6, then we'll skip down. should be up here. Um, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give give a thought to us that we may not perish. Then skipping down to 15. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So I believe Mark wants us to see, he wants us to think of Jonah as he's telling this story. And I'd say it's way more accurate to say that Jonah, when we read the story of Jonah, he's pointing forward to, it's a, it's a picture of Jesus to come. So let me show you some similarities between these two stories. Both men, Jesus and Jonah, are asleep on the boat. Both of them are not just asleep on a boat, they're asleep on a boat in a storm. Both group, the sailors and the disciples, believe they're going to die, right? Both Jesus and Jonah are responsible for calming the storm, and both the sailors and the disciples are scared after the storm. So they're scared in the storm, and they're scared after the storm. And if we would have been steeped in the story of Jonah, as we're reading this story, we would be anticipating Jesus being thrown into the storm. It would almost feel off if he wasn't. And so what the big difference, though, is, is Jonah, right, he's thrown into the storm. Jesus speaks to the storm. And one of the reasons is because Jesus is greater than Jonah because he's the creator. He speaks to creation and it listens to him. But the one storm that can rage forever that we, can't, we don't have any control over is the storm of eternal justice from a holy God. We cannot weather that storm, but Jesus can. And this is why he is greater than Jonah, because we aren't perfect, and we need someone who is greater than the storm of our sin, our imperfections, our rebellion against God, our desire to be God or to replace him with things other than him. And in the face of that storm that's coming for all of us, we cry out to Jesus, don't you care? Will you help us? And Jesus responds, not by telling the wind and the waves to be still, but throwing himself into the storm of God's wrath on the cross so that it does not take us under. 
See, like the cross shows us that Jesus is greater than any storm we could face. There is nothing bigger than that. The eternal storm we all face, Jesus says, I got this. I got this. The cross shows us that Jesus is greater than any fear we could have. Because if he's willing to die for us, what else is he willing to do? He's going to take care of us. He knows our greatest need, and he's handled it. And the cross shows us that Jesus is way more than we realize. He's not just a good teacher or a healer. He's not just powerful and in control and sovereign. He's also caring and kind and compassionate and motivated by love far beyond we could ever hope, think, or imagine. So this morning, if you, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, your hope in him, your trust in him, I would ask that you would do that this morning. So here's how we're going to do that. First, we would admit our need of a Savior, that we aren't perfect, that we need Jesus' perfection. And just like the disciples called on Jesus for help, we do that. Say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to help me face a storm I cannot face on my own. Secondly, we believe that he is the one that saves us, not our record, not our works, not our performance, but only him. Our sole hope, trust, faith is in him. Then thirdly, we commit to him for the rest of our lives. So see, let's be the kind of people that when we face storms, we can humbly and confidently say, Jesus has this. We continue to trust him. We don't understand everything, but we say he's got it. We can look to the cross and see, this is what Jesus has done to take care of me so I can trust him with my questions, my doubts, my fears, my concerns. He's reunited us back to the Father. So what else do we need to trust him with? If he's got that, he's got it all. And so uh, we're going to transition into a time of communion. So if you have your communion cups, go ahead and grab those. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you so much that you are the one who calms the storm for us. There are storms that we cannot handle, and we desperately need you. So I thank you just in this room of all the stories, all the celebrations of when you showed up and you calmed the storm of our life. Well, that was difficult seasons of marriage, difficult seasons of parenting, difficult seasons of singleness, difficult seasons that were emotional, physical, health. You've handled it. We thank you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.